Hello and welcome to a Carrick Institute podcast. Today I'll be interviewing PhD candidate and neurophysiologist Kenneth J. If you'd like to learn more about the Carrick Institute and its clinical neuroscience program, or the upcoming International Symposium on Clinical Neuroscience on October 7th, 8th, and 9th in Orlando, Florida, please visit CarrickInstitute.com. All right, so today, guys, uh, welcome to another Carrick Institute podcast. I'm really excited to be speaking to Kenneth J., uh, PhD candidate. Uh, from Denmark. Uh, hey, Kenneth, how are you doing today? I'm great. How are you, Prince? I'm doing awesome. Excited to be talking to you. Um, actually, but not a lot of people know that I've actually known you for, for quite some time. So it, it, it's it's uh, a little unusual to be doing an introduction uh, on you since I know I know you so well. But um, you, you have a very diverse background. And, we, you know, the people that we have for these podcasts is an eclectic special group. So, geez, can you tell us a little bit about yourself in regards to let's start off with your educational background? Right, I'll be happy to. Uh, my background is in exercise physiology. Um, I got my master's back in 2011 from the University of Copenhagen. And um, I did a quite comprehensive study on kettlebells and how it affects pain. Um, before that, um, I had a, or I did, a, did my bachelor's in cardiovascular physiology also at the University of Copenhagen. Um, and before that, I spent a whole lot of time working as a strength and conditioning coach and performance coach for various Olympic athletes here in Denmark. Currently, however, um, I am finishing up my PhD. I did turn it in just last May, um, and I'm just waiting for my PhD defense. Oh, that, that's exciting. Are you nervous for that? A little bit, but it, it's kind of like if you're not nervous, then you're not going to be performing at hundred and ten percent that that extra shot of uh, adrenaline that kicks in when you really need to perform it actually elevates your performance level so so i i, I wouldn't want to be without that part all right <laughs> that's awesome hey so your phd defense and again congratulations on that i, I have a, i have a brother with a phd and some you know i'm educated I have some really educated people in my family so it's quite the accomplishment um can you tell us about i don't know can you even talk about what your phd if you, PhD defense is going to be on. What's what's the topic? Well, um, well, it, it basically uh, what my PhD is. It's it's a uh, it's five published articles, peer-reviewed published articles, um, on a study I did um, about musculoskeletal pain and stress and the interconnectedness between the two. Um, so what I was trying to uh, to get a deeper understanding of was actually how pain affects stress, situational stress and how situational stress can affect musculoskeletal pain. Um, so what we did was we did a, and when I say we, is that, is that I had a, had a group of people to help me and assist me because the, the data collection process was like mind-boggling big, um, and there was a lot of data. But what we essentially did was that we measured a bunch of people on how their performance was, but also on how their pain, pain was and their stress levels. We gave them cognitive tests um, and physical examinations and, and all of these things. And then we did a 10-week-long intervention. Um, it, it, it was a combination intervention treatment uh, that was physical, but it also had elements of mindfulness uh, therapy, uh, mindfulness-based stress reduction in there as well. And then after the 10 weeks, we did all the measurements again, and then it was a pretty simple uh, pre-post analysis of, uh, of the differences between the two groups that got the intervention treatment well, that, and, and that's the awesome. reference. 
Yeah, no, no, no. very, very interesting. So <clears throat> I know you've you mentioned your published papers. I know you've been uh, mm -hmm. you're pretty well published at this point, which is, again, a really incredible accomplishment about how many published uh, papers do you have in peer reviewed journals at this point? Can I ask that? Uh, I think I'm around 35, 36, um, something like that. And that that includes both first authorships and uh, co-authorships. Uh, but I think it's about 35 now, 36. So no, that's actually, it's pretty good. I actually had just finished up one uh, one today um, and sent it in. I finished up a review of it. It's about uh, neurocognitive performance um, in this group of people who have pain. So that was kind of interesting, and it's going to be out probably in a month or two in the journal that's called Medicine, uh, which is a pretty nice journal. So so I'm happy about that. Excellent. So we, And we could type in your, your name and, and find you in PubMed, right? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, that, that's that's yeah. fantastic. So I, I, yeah, I'm trailing you in regards to that. I'm gonna have to get off my butt and, and get writing here. I know I have some opportunities and I just uh, find myself too busy. But amazing accomplishment. That's awesome. Hey, so I know you. I know you've also done uh, in regards to your background. You've, you're, you've been coaching for a while. You've, you used to be very involved in a kettlebell community. Can you tell us about your background there? And uh, oh yeah, to start off, what, what are, I'm gonna start off simply. I mean, a lot of people don't even know what a kettlebell is. So what what is this kettlebell, and what's with the kettlebell community? What did you do there? All right. So first of all, a, a kettlebell is um, is uh, is a weight. It's like a like a equipment for weight training, and it's like a cannonball with a suitcase handle on top of it. And it basically it 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 pretty much works just like a dumbbell, but with the main difference of having the offset center of gravity. So the center of gravity in the kettlebell is displaced from the center of your hand, where the center of gravity would normally be in an, in a dumbbell. Um, and that allows you to do a bunch of other um, or different type of exercises. It allows you to do more uh, ballistic type exercises because you can get a different kind of motion going with uh, with a kettlebell. So so um, if you, for instance, go on YouTube and, and look up kettlebell training, you will uh, most likely find a bunch of people swinging this kettlebell mm -hmm. where, uh, where there's a, a pretty aggressive uh, full body extension that kind of generates some energy and gets uh, momentum to the kettlebell so it swings back and forth kind of like a pendulum. So that's one of the key exercises that you do with it. But you can do a ton of other exercises with the kettlebell as well. It's just that that um, that's pretty much the, the, the foundation of it. I introduced kettlebell training to uh, to most of Europe back in 2003-2004 when nobody had ever heard of it. Um, the kettlebell started gaining popularity as far as I know in 2000-2001 in the States. Mm -hmm. um, but as with everything else, Europe um, trails a little bit behind the mm -hmm. US when, when, when certain fitness crazes and, and, and new ideas show up. So in 2003-2004 I picked up the kettlebell and tried to get Denmark, Scandinavia, and the rest of Europe interested in it. Um, and I've written a couple of books about it as well, and I've um, shot videos and stuff like that. So, so yeah, the kettlebell has been uh, has been a part of uh, of my my own physical training, but also the training that I've put others through. It's been a p big part of that for many many years. Awesome. So here, so I'm going to ask you a question because you mentioned the ballistic aspect or some of the ballistic training that you can do with kettlebells. Um, mm -hmm. Because of the shape of the kettlebell, and, it, and I, listen, I know you're very thorough, but uh, well, I mean, why should I care about the ballistic capability that I could have with this tool versus a traditional dumbbell, um, traditional bomb, 
uh, dumbbell or you know other equipment that I find in a gym? Why, why does ballistic matter? Well, um, ballistics are interesting because um, ballistics only work. Uh, ballistic exercises can only work if there's a high um, if there's high speed involved. So the velocity of the movement, whether it's the object that actually has the high velocity or if it's your body that has to move at a high velocity to get it going, that's, the, that's one of the key aspects that makes ballistic and explosive exercises so interesting in performance development. So you can kind of think about this. You could also do a, do a ballistic exercise with a barbell, for instance, and that would kind of be if you, you imagine that you have a barbell across your back and you squat down, uh, bend your hips and your knees, and then you violently come out of the squat mm -hmm. and simply just letting the the barbell um, fly off off uh, off the uh, off the back of your neck mm -hmm. uh, from that motion. That would be a ballistic exercise as well. It would just be really really hard to do that one repetitively. Um, because that will require you to to catch the barbell, and I'm not sure anybody would want to yeah. do that. I've worked out like a lot, that. but I've never I've never actually done barbell catching. I don't think I'm going to add it to my my uh, my exercise plan yet. No, no, I think <laughs> it's better to stick with the kettlebell for that one. And see, that's that's then where where the other nice aspect of the kettlebell comes in is that it allows you to do these movements repetitively and get into a, a rhythm, um, and then you can start playing with cadence of uh, of your movement patterns which is really really nice so so that's just one of the aspects that that are pretty cool with the kettlebell Absolutely. hey so i know in another part of your very diverse background is you've you know you've been a coach you've been coaching people on their human performance for a long time and you've also this is where our paths kind of uh our paths crossed is you've also done uh have studied neurology or neuroscience for the sake of performance enhancement as well. Can you share with us uh, about your coaching and what you know in regards to neurology for performance, which obviously kind of dovetails with what you've done in the, in, uh, for your PhD in research as well. So I know neuroscience has worked its way into your life. Can you tell us more about that background? Uh, sure. Uh, I would love to. Actually, can I start with, with actually what got me into um, to looking into the, the neuroscientific aspect of this? Yeah, I'd love because to hear it. The, yeah. I don't know if I know this um, story yet. This is um, and 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 this is this is a personal aspect from uh, this is a personal part of me, and this is actually um, a, a big part of me, and I'm thankful for this happening to me. Actually, even though at the time, which was back in 2009, I was um, I was in a lot of uh, I was in some pain my, myself, but uh, my movements were um, deteriorating. I've always been a uh, been a fairly good athlete, and I've always liked to attack new sports and learning new movements and 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 all of these things. And I've been quite good at it, um, I would say. But something happened in the course of two thousand eight, two thousand and nine, that forced me to look beyond uh, the musculoskeletal system and beyond uh, beyond anything else that that I had learned at that point. Um, during my undergrad at the anatomy and physiology class and all what of that. What happened? What happened? No, I'm curious. Yeah, what happened? What happened? Uh, what actually happened was that I attended um, a grappling class or a Brazilian jiu-jitsu. Mm -hmm. um, and I could feel um, from from the moment I, I hit the mat on that one, I could I could feel that, that something was off. And probably around 20, 25 minutes into it, 
uh, I get stacked heavily, meaning that the other guy, he's pretty much crushing down on me. Yeah, like folding you in half. Folding me in half, right. and it just goes straight into my lower back. Um, and and that was like, you, you know how it is when you're all warmed up and, and mm-hmm. the adrenaline's pumping. You don't really feel, like, feel it that much. But afterwards, I couldn't move at all. I was just stuck in some weird position almost my back wouldn't uh, completely straighten out and and uh, I just feel felt all locked up and and not a single joint in my entire body would work properly and that's when I started looking at what ha- have I been doing in my training what have I or what have I not been doing in my training um since I couldn't handle um, since I couldn't handle myself better, since I, I felt the effect on something that happens quite frequently in, uh, in grappling and Brazilian jiu-jitsu, why couldn't my body handle this? Because mm-hmm. it was like, I was early 30s, I was in great shape, I was really, really strong and, 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 and otherwise well-functioning, I think. Um, so, so it actually had me look into, into more about why is it that my why is it that I have a hard time controlling my joints with precision, precision movement? Well, it, it, was, it kind of felt like I lost some of that uh, fine motor control um, uh, that, that everybody develops during their uh, childhood years and stuff like that. And it, it, it was kind of like everything was just deteriorating at a rate that it shouldn't. Right, right. So you were too, I, I, too, you're too young to, to think this was normal, right? Yeah, yeah. It, it, something was just off. So I actually started looking into neurology, looking into the visual vestibular system, proprioceptive system, and trying to figure out what role uh, those systems play in, um, in, in, in coding the, the movement, right? So, so, so trying to figure out, okay, if, if, if there's something wrong with my perception of the environment that I'm in, if that perception is not right, then the interpretation of that in my brain is not going to be uh, correct either, which means that if there's a wrong interpretation of it, then the, the output, the, prog- the movement program output from that interpretation is also going to be wrong. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that was my initial thought on it. And then I started working on that and trying to figure out what the heck am I going to do about it. So that was actually what led me to to getting into the neurology aspect of it. So it started with the visual vestibular and proprioceptive system, trying to figure out how, how that works. Awesome. Yeah, and I actually have a, a personal story in regards to how I got into neuro- neuroscience as well. So we, we actually, they're very similar, so it's kind of funny. Um, yeah. So I say I'm telling you, I'm telling the audience at home, this is where our, our paths cross because nobody understands that, you know, before we ever before we ever considered getting our um, advanced degrees, we were we were studying studying neuroscience feverishly, like all the time, and using yeah. it as a way to improve people. So you know, when I tell people, hey, I, I you know, I trained to try to help somebody's performance, but I wanted to get them better in an hour as opposed to six weeks, and my tool for yeah. that was neuroscience. They kind of yeah. kind of piques their interest. Um, yeah. But but now as functional as a functional neurologist and um, and you'll be speaking to a, a large audience of functional neurologists next next month at the ISCN in Orlando um, mm-hmm. to that audience it makes a lot of sense because they're going oh well you know this makes perfect sense you know nervous system adapts very quickly and if if you could change the interpretation like you were just speaking about you could change have a change hopefully have a positive change in performance but also a negative one so 
that's mm-hmm. why we put it in the hands of skilled people like yourself. So that's, that's uh, exciting that we share that uh, that past. Yeah, that's very cool. That's hey, so very I, cool. I also know that you've worked with uh, some Olympians. I mean, I hate to make you brag, but can you <laughs> know at the name drop? What, you know, what what sports have you worked with? Uh, what do you what are you doing and what's your coaching? I, I think I just well, read that you're you. I think you were just wrestling with a, a famous fighter like a couple of days ago, and you were saying that you. <laughs> <laughs> you you're pretty busted up but I, but the person I know you're you're grappling with is uh is very talented so I would I would expect that anybody would be pretty busted up if they did what you were trying to do there. Uh yeah, who have you worked with or you don't have to share us the names and I probably nah, not fair to name okay. drop but you know what sports have you have you worked with? Well well that uh, that guy you were referring to that I was grappling with this um is a UFC fighter. Um, and he's also a dear friend of mine, and I help him out with uh, with his uh, his his cardiovascular training. And he he uses me as a consultant, uh, also on weight cutting and, and and stuff like that. And in return, he beats me up on the mat. So it, it's 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 a perfect it's, it's win win scenario. I think you need to renegotiate. <laughs> yeah, I think so too. No, that's all that's all great fun. Um, but yeah, I, ever since actually 2001, um, I've worked with professional athletes. I started working 2001 with the Danish national swimming team, mm-hmm. um, which was really, really interesting because at the time, that's a long time ago, 15 years, man. Um, because what's really interesting with that is that we had a, had a, a bunch of kids, uh, 14, 15 years of age, uh, coming up, um, and were really talented in the, Danish swimming, and I got to um, got to help out with their training and their preparation uh, for that. And I had to take into account that there are still young kids in um, in develop uh, in earlier developmental stages in terms of physical abilities and how much training load and volume you could impose on them. So I had to uh, I got to play a role with with some of the best up and coming swimmers uh, from there, and I actually stayed with that with them for about. 10, 11 years. And what is really interesting to see is that as they developed through working with them pretty much, uh, maybe not every day, but but at least four four times a week and going on training camps with them and and and, and being poolside, work, seeing them working in, uh, working out in the, in the pool, is that it's so awesome to see when it all comes together. And it did uh, in 2008 when one of the swimmers took um, took a bronze medal in the 1500 meter freestyle, and that was kind of the the kickoff. Uh, and then. Uh, more of the swimmers followed. So now, um, now currently the current world champion sprinting, uh, 50, 50 meter free, 50 meter butterfly, um, or, uh, is one of the kids that I started working with back in 2001, 2002, which is kind of cool to see. Um, and I still occasionally talk to them and, uh, and, and, uh, and you know, catch up and see how they're doing. So, so swimming has been a big part of my life with with coaching and with uh, with trying to develop talents and, and trying to increase performance. Then I worked with uh, wrestling as well, um, which was also a big big part of uh, my life from two thousand six to two thousand nine, two thousand ten. Um, and I love wrestling. I love swimming too, but I really, really love wrestling. I love that. Uh, I loved all the aspects, the physical aspects of of that particular co- uh, contact sport. So I spent a lot of time working with that. And on top of that, um, there was a short period where I actually also managed um, 
strength and conditioning and physical development for for um, ping pong, for badminton, uh, for tennis as well, um, and a few other sports. So so I've I've had my hands in various types of sports uh, throughout the years, and I'm so grateful for having had that opportunity to actually learn from from these tremendous athletes and. And they have definitely helped me grow as a as a coach myself. So um, so, I, I I bring a little bit of experience to the table. I, I would think like. think more than a little bit, about fifteen years, if you want to be a little more precise. But that's that's great. Thanks yeah. for sharing. And you know, I'm gonna I hate to do this, but I'm gonna make you brag about yourself because I know that uh, athletically you're 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 not too uh, not too bad yourself. You were just in the rowing championships or something like that. Can you tell me a little bit about that? Oh yeah, uh, see, and this is um, yeah, this is something fairly new to me, uh, which is kind of interesting because my background, as I started out by saying, is that is that I have um, an, a background in exercise physiology, and a big part of exercise physiology is understanding and and knowing a lot about the cardiovascular system and the cardiorespiratory system, but that's also one of the things that's been lacking a little bit in my training. If I look back like 15 years ago, 20 years ago, I should have been doing more of that myself. So um, I, a few years ago, uh, about two and a half years ago, I decided that, uh, that I wanted to put uh, more time in developing the cardiovascular system. As we get older, we have to look at, at what is, um, what is, what is the the biggest uh, mortality risk that's out there, and that's cardiovascular disease. So, mm-hmm. so I decided uh, for my own health is that this is uh, this is the time to start working on uh, on the stuff that I didn't spend so much time working on 10, 15, 20 years ago. So I started rowing, and I am ex- absolutely addicted to rowing. Um, unfortunately, I can't spend enough time on the water uh, rowing. So um, the next best thing is actually getting on a getting on a rowing machine, like you know the the, the standard rowing machine that most gyms have available. Mm-hmm. Um, they're actually pretty accurate, and the cool thing about it is that it gives you a very accurate power reading, uh, which makes it really really easy to to program and actually create some form of perpetual progress in your training so that kind of led me to competing at the world championships uh with the danish national rowing team um and if anybody's out there listening knows uh, or follows rowing they probably know that denmark has a pretty strong history with having fairly decent uh rowers taking several medals at the olympics and um, throughout the years so anyway i went with the with the danish national team to and it was actually in boston uh, held in Boston back in February, and I finished 27th uh, at the Worlds, which is pretty good for a first competition. I, well, think. I mean, geez, hold on, that's amazing. First of all, you say pretty good. I mean, if I picked up if I picked up a sport and then and decided to walk into the uh, the national, you know, the, the championships, I, <laughs> I you wouldn't see my name anywhere. It'd be, I mean, this is like some high level competition. So when I heard that you were doing what you were doing, I was like, this is. I was like, that was just really impressive. But you, you did something, didn't you do a, another type of race too, as well? Yeah, I did. There was uh, Danish, uh, there was Danish championships and, and Danish regionals where they had sprint distances, um, and I took a few medals in in in, uh, in those. So sprinting distance, that's that's definitely right up my alley. Uh, so shorter shorter distances, two hundred and fifty meter type stuff. That's where I can 
apparently really crank out some power. So, so I so brought home a few medals for the kids to play that's with. That's congratulations. So 200, 250 meters on a row. Now, I, I, I row uh, pretty frequently, so I know what 250 meters takes me. Uh, mm-hmm. So when you do it, what when you were sprinting it, what did you get uh, your 250 meters in? Uh, well, just below 30 seconds. <laughs> <laughs> that's listen i challenge everybody yeah. to go to your go to your rower and row 250 meters as fast as you can and just tell me how far away you are from 30 seconds because i'm telling you what the, what this gentleman is doing is uh is something else that's that's impressive so you earned you earned your medals my friend that's unbelievable well thank you and uh, you will uh, you're more than welcome to join me for uh, the, the 2017 uh, world championships if you want to freddy's Listen, I, I would I would rather wrestle that UFC fighter than than, than, challenge, <laughs> than challenge you at rowing. I I've done some rowing sprints and I I could barely get my f- my feet out of the straps there. I just kind of fall over and take the machine with me. It's it's pretty much dangerous for everybody in the gym. So I I should probably do less of it if I want to survive. But that's super impressive. So thanks for sharing on that. You know what? I want to segue right into some cardio stuff. Because um, yeah. I've watched you, uh, you know, I've watched your career and education evolve, and it's been a pleasure as as your friend and colleague to to watch that evolution. But lately, just like you were uh, alluding to, is you're big on the cardiovascular system, yeah. And you wrote a book about it. It's called Cardio Code, and it's been out for a while. And you know, and I feel terribly guilty that I have not picked it up yet. I'm go- I'm certainly going to, but I do know what it's about, and I'd like to learn more about it. So I, I know you said you were like, hey, you know, cardiovascular disease is a big. Uh, it's obviously still the number one cause of death for men and women, um, but from a performance standpoint, what what are we you know what are we looking at in regards to the cardiovascular system? Why does it matter? And I know there's actually some neurological implications to the cardiovascular system as well. Uh, without giving away the whole book, I mean, geez, what what can you tell us? I'm sure you learned lots on your journey for this book, which I know is, by the way, incredibly popular. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so so the, there are so many uh, so many really really great reasons for um, for starting to do cardiovascular training if you haven't been doing that, and 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 probably the biggest motivation for me and 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 what I normally tell people it's the it's the basic health benefits that you get from it because cardiovascular disease is probably the number one or at least the number two uh, major cause of death, all cause mortality. Uh, so, so if you want to live longer, then, um, then, then you should definitely do some cardiovascular stuff and living longer is, um, is, is pretty important if you also want to improve your performance, right? Because you can't really do that if you're dead. Um, I almost want to be like living longer is pretty important if you want to live longer. I'm like, you don't have to convince me to want to live longer. I'm there with you. I'm totally, I'm totally there with you. Kind of there, there we go. There we go. So, so anyway, um, well, yeah, well, the, the, the biggest thing here is, is that most people don't realize how important it is to have a well-functioning heart in terms of their, in terms of physical performance and in terms of performing also in everyday life, just running around and, and carrying stuff and, and going back and forth from whatever it is that you have to do. Uh, most people don't realize how, how big a factor the cardiovascular system is in your ability to recover between bouts of really intense exercise. So if, if we use the example of, um, of a fighter, for instance, because we just talked about my, my friend who's a UFC fighter. Mm-hmm. Now, fighting and striking you, um, and, and that type of activity, um, for most people, that seems to be very, very uh, muscularly based and, and dominated by your muscles' ability to create force and to rapidly 
contract and create that devastating in, impact. But the thing is, is that if, 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 if a fight goes longer than about 30, 40 seconds, then all of a sudden something happens. And the thing that happens is that you will start to breathe heavy and you will start to suck in a lot of air in order to oxygenate the blood so the, the blood can be delivered to all the working muscles. Now, the limiting factor in delivered, delivering all that blood uh, with oxygen to, to the muscles is the pumping capacity of the heart. And if the pumping capacity cannot deliver enough, then it's just a matter of a very, very short time, then you will have to slow down or the, the fighters will have to slow down. And that's not a good situation to be in. So what, what a good cardiovascular system does, it allows you to, to, to keep going at a higher pace with more power. But it also, in those brief uh, fractions of a second where the two fighters are not exchanging punches or kicks, mm -hmm. that's actually recovery time. So when they're not engaged in, in any uh, confrontation, when they're apart and moving around each other, that is actually rest time. And the, the, the better cardiovascular system is functioning in, in those split seconds, um, the faster the person will be able to recover to deliver more power in the next blow and so on. So it is extremely important with a well-functioning cardiovascular system. Awesome. So what about yeah. the, I know, you know, I've been following your blog posts and your articles and I get all your emails. What about some of the neurological implications of, uh, that are dependent on your cardiovascular system? Yeah. So, so basically, uh, and this, this goes for performance and it goes for, for, for physical performance, but also for mental performance. It's been shown, uh, many, many times that, um, that the better cardiovascular system that you have, the better um, the better your ability is to to increase blood flow, not just to the working muscles, but also to all the other organs and your brain. Um, the better cognitive abilities that you actually have. So, a well functioning cardiovascular system actually in, uh, helps uh, cognitive executive functioning, which is tremendously important uh, in terms of strategic planning. Um, and um, and uh, and predictive ability. So when again, if we're going to stay with the with the fighting example, um, mm -hmm. with the two fighters going at it at each other, the better the cardiovascular system is. The the the, the more fresh blood or oxygenated blood is going to flow to your brain, um, and it's going going to go into your prefrontal cortex where uh, where we got all the the cool planning areas going on. It's going to be your brain is going to be able to predict better, and it's going to be able to recognize movement patterns of your opponent better. So so you can strategically plan um, your next step, and that is really, really important to keep. Well, basically, it helps you to keep uh, keep cool, right? Yeah, yeah. Also, it, helps you to not get punched, right? Yeah, exactly. So, so I think that makes a lot of sense, right? So the better the better cardiovascular system, the better perfusion, the better perfusion we have, the mm -hmm. more the more uh, fuel that our brain has, the be better yeah. fuel our brain has, the better job it can do interpreting, and then having appropriate reactions to our environment. And sometimes that's your opponent. Sometimes it's just you walking through the world. So I think that exactly. makes a lot of sense. That's incredible. Yeah. It's, um, it's, it's, it's all about patternicity, really. And uh, again, if we don't supply the brain with proper fueling, as you just said, then the patternicity re recognition systems in your prefrontal cortex will not be accurate. And then what happens? What happens is that 
once you start, once you realize that that you did not predict the outcome correctly of it, then blood flow is going to slowly start to shift toward towards more more basic areas of the brain, your 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 threat system uh, and your alarm system system is uh, is going to kick in. So um, so there's a lot to be said for having a really really well developed cardiovascular system for, if you're an athlete, definitely. Well, I mean, I hear that and I go, geez, not just an athlete, but even the, the executive or the person who wants to feel sharp, right? I mean, exactly. may, maybe maybe an aspect of our cognitive decline over time is cardiovascularly related. I mean, I'd be, I'd be curious to see what the research indicates into that. And not that you need mm-hmm. any more ideas to do your research on, but geez, I mean, I'm, I'm sure we could do a couple searches and find out what the, uh, the literature is saying. So I'm just kind of fascinated by what you're Absolutely. talking about. Absolutely. Yeah, uh, me too, man. I, I wish I had like uh, I had like uh, thirty hours per um, 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 uh, thirty hours every day to just sit and, and and work and absorb, and I didn't have to sleep or anything because stuff like that is just tremendously fascinating, um, fascinating to me. And I would love to dig into exactly what you're talking about there. Um, use some new new scientific methods to to elucidate what's going on really in the deeper brain structures. Mm-hmm. Maybe even doing some invasive invasive stuff. I would just love to do that. So awesome. Well, so one of the things that I know that <clears throat> that you one of the reasons I know you talk about the rower in the cardio code book is because mm-hmm. you could quantify all these aspects that you're talking about in regards to um, how hard your work is, how hard your work your heart is working. Mm-hmm. Um, in regards to power output and stuff like that. So yeah. what, what else is in this book that people would find uh, fascinating or different about your, your book, The Cardio Code? Well, first of all, it, 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 um, it tries to, um, to dispel the myth that, that you can get a cardiovascular workout in just by elevating your heart rate. That's a big misconception in the fitness well, industry. Well, you know what? This, this reminds me of that yeah. time where people were talking about like, uh, what do I do for cardio? I just lift weights fast. Like yeah, I remember that exactly. being like I remember that being <laughs> a big deal uh, a couple years ago when people started wrapping their heads around that. And actually, I remember you pioneering, being like, "Well, hey, let's look let's look at what actual cardiovascular training is." And this was years ago. I, I think that's actually yeah. what led to this book, isn't it? Exactly. Exactly. That's exactly that quote. Exactly is what what um, what made me sit down and write that book because you see, I'm. In in my heart, I can feel that I'm I'm all about helping people and making them better. I love to be able to provide information that people can apply right off the bat, and then instantaneously feel that this is going to help and this is going to improve. And when I hear something like that, like the quote that you just said, that lifting weights faster is just cardio, that is not just wrong. That is tremendously wrong, um, and that's. Well, that's what led me to write that book. So pretty much the, the, the first part of the book is, is, is explaining that things doesn't work like that. Human physiology does not work like that. It has more details to it. Um, plus, it's actually been investigated um, a lot in the literature. So if you search on, for instance, circuit weight training, weightlifting, and then oxygen uptake, then you will find that the studies that have been done on it, they, they pretty much all conclude the same thing, and that is that you cannot lift weights if you want a decent cardiovascular workout. You have to go back to the, um, to the normal cardiovascular activities that we all know, like running, biking, or cycling, 
cross-country skiing and then of course rowing. Uh, rowing then has some some other benefits uh, that cycling and skiing does not seem to have, uh, which is really, really interesting as well. Um, so I go into a bit of detail about that in the book. Um, plus, I actually try to 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 come up or not come up, but try to explain how to approach structuring your own training. So this is this is not a not the book that's gonna just give you a plan and then it says do this, do this, do this, but it requires you to think think and plan your own training because we're all different. We all have different brains, we all have different bodies. And what we've done in the past also determines what we're able to do right now, where we're able to begin. So everybody is everybody is different. And then that's where the individualization comes into this. So that's why I'm really, really big on we have to know as many parameters as we possibly can because we don't really want to address training blindly. It's kind of like it's kind of like the more information that you have about a certain topic, the better we are at uh, predicting outcomes of it and the better we are at analyzing uh, potential outcomes if we do A, B, or C. So, so the more information that we have, the better we are at understanding at, uh, at what's going on with our bodies and the better decisions we're able to make. So the book goes into a lot of detail about how to make the best possible decisions for your cardiovascular system. Excellent. And then so and how does a rower come into this? Because I know you like the rower because of the measurements you were to take during it, which I mean, I, I kind of get that because when I run, I don't know how well besides the, my finishing yeah. time, how well or poorly I'm running. But sure. you, you get you get a lot you get different metrics with the rower in that little device, the computer device that's attached to it. So yes. uh, why the rower? I mean, what, what's the big deal? Well, the big the big deal is um, is number one. It's it's the the combination of uh, upper and lower body at the same time. Uh, when you row, it's about sixty percent legs. It's about thirty percent uh, trunk musculature, and it's about ten percent arms, uh, roughly roughly speaking. Um, a few studies have tried to quant uh, quantify how much muscle mass is actually active when you row. And um, although they don't all, all come out with the exact same number, they all come out above 80%. So 80% or above of your total body muscle mass is actually active during each rowing stroke, which makes it really, really interesting. Especially if we look at it again from a performance perspective, also in other sports, because again, performance and who wins is often determined by how, uh, by how much power is appropriately ap applied to the environment. And the more muscle, the more potential power you can actually apply. The cool thing about the rower is exactly what you said, the, 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 the small device that, that, that gives you numbers and readings of it because you know exactly how much power you're generating. You can even have, or at least on some rowers, you can have, have it show you like a, like a forced time curve so you can see where exactly you're, you're um, developing the most power and if it's uh, at the appropriate place during the rowing stroke. So it gives you a lot of feedback. It, you can you can change somebody's rowing stroke from from one minute to the next just by having them look at uh, look at that feedback that that it, that it provides you. So it's very very easy to easy and it's uh, it's safe. The biggest thing about the rower is actually the effect it has on the heart, though. 
we talked about or I mentioned briefly that that um, that rowing has slightly different effect on the heart than than other traditional um, cardiovascular activities do. And and there's been a ton of measurements made on how the heart actually adapts to cardiovascular activity. Um, People with a background in physiology will know that cardiovascular activity will make the heart grow, grow bigger, which is which is great and it's absolutely correct. But the thing is, is that it's how it grows bigger that's interesting. And what happens during strength training is that the heart wall thickens, but in in cardiovascular training, the heart stretches out so it's kind of like you're inflating a balloon when you do cardiovascular mm-hmm, training mm-hmm. and that's what you want uh, that that's actually what we're going for because as it's inflated or it's it it, it is it expands it will be able to hold more blood and like i s- said previously is that is that your performance is uh, and your recovery ability and all of that is uh, and how much blood oxygenated blood that can be delivered is um um, is directly related to how much blood is ejected from the heart per heartbeat. So a bigger heart will eject more blood, thus there will be more oxygen oxygen delivered to not just your working muscles but to your brain as well. So we want the bigger heart, but we want the bigger internal volume of the heart. We want that to go up. Um, the problem is with strength training is that the heart wall thickens and it doesn't expand. So what actually happens is that the volume, the internal volume of the heart, it decreases slightly, which means that 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 the heart will have to pump more times per minute in order to deliver the same amount of blood because the internal volume uh, has been reduced. On top of that, on top of that, and that's probably the 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 the, the most interesting uh, aspect of it is that when the heart wall thickens, normally we would think of muscles getting bigger as a good thing, mm-hmm. but 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 it it's slightly different uh, with the with the heart musculature because what happens when it grows is that it it has the, the heart muscle is not like skeletal muscle. It's it's a combination of skeletal muscle and smooth muscle uh, cell fibers. And when it thickens, it actually also increases its its content, or it forms more uh, collagen tissue, um, which actually reduces the heart's compliance. So, the compliance is pretty much an expression of uh, of how easily the heart is stretched, and that means that as the heart wall thickens and it grows thick and dense, and the internal volume is not in, not increased proportionally to that, mm-hmm. then the the hard wall will will start to get stiff, and that actually also happens with the with the major arteries in your body as well. So, and that is directly related to the high amounts of blood pressure or the high blood pressure that that um, that can be achieved during weight training. So that is a natural adaptation of the heart towards the, the uh, towards whenever you lift a heavy heavy load, uh, making your heart uh, blood pressure go up. So in order to combat that blood pressure, the heart wall thickens. But the problem is that that um, that you will probably experience the, experience a stiffened heart wall which maybe somewhere down the road will predispose you for uh, for for cardiovascular health issues so yeah well i'm I'm gonna i'm gonna be honest with you i'm listening to you and uh you're scaring me and at the same time i feel like i need to go running right away to Mm -hmm. to help to help my heart because this is it's uh the reality of the matter right so i'm really glad we're sharing this with everybody yeah 
So, but the the thing is, is that uh, is that it's it, it's not it's never either or, right? It is never either cardiovascular training or strength training. It's always both, right? Mm-hmm. It's kind of like uh, when when I sit down with my wife at night and she asks me, "Hey, Kenneth, what do you want to drink with your dinner tonight? Do you want beer or do you want wine?" And I say, "Yes, please." Right, because it, it 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 it's always a matter of both, and the same thing with cardiovascular training and strength training, is that if you make sure that you get both, then we actually get the best of both worlds. Because we also got to remember there's a a ton of literature out there that um, uh, that tells us that that you get many many tremendous benefits from strength training. We can just look at we can look at bone density. We can look at um, we can look at muscle wasting as uh, as we age and all of these things. So there are so many things that um, positive things that we gain from weight training and also from a performance aspect. Well, more muscle just simply just means more muscular power. And the more you can apply the correct amount of power at the correct uh, at the correct time and keep doing that. Uh, the chances for uh, of you winning whatever it is that you're doing is definitely going to go up. So we cannot forget uh, or neglect strength training either. We just need to figure out what is the ratio here. And in my experience, what I'm seeing, uh, because I, I, I check out what's going on uh, on social media as well, and, and, and so many people are infatuated with lifting weights and getting stronger, which is great. But a part of me is just going... I really, really hope that they're not neglecting their cardiovascular system because we need those two systems well-functioning together because if they don't function uh, well together, there's going to be a discrepancy somewhere. There's going to be a discrepancy between how much your musculoskeletal system potentially can deliver but how much your cardiovascular system is going to allow those muscles to work as well. So they're performance aspects of it, but there are also health aspects. we got to do both. And that's probably also why I love rowing so much, because it is actually a combination of strict training and cardiovascular training all in one. And that makes it really, really time efficient. And again, if we look at the hearts of the best rowers in the world, they have the most healthiest cardiovascular systems by far. Even if, if we take like the best Tour de France uh, cyclists, uh, bike riders, and 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 scan their hearts. We could uh, we could do a, we could do a Doppler scan or something of their heart, and we could check out the functioning, the pumping capacity. We could do measurements. Mm-hmm. What we would come up with is 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 that if we look at all those health parameters and performance parameters, the rower's heart seems to be coming out um, as number one every single time. And that's interesting. Exactly the mechanisms behind it and, and, and what it is, I'm not sure about. It's something that haven't been studied quite, uh, quite yet. But my guess, my best guess is that we're actually talking about a ratio between the, the thickness of the heart wall and the capacity to hold blood. So it's about a ratio between, between that that seems to be most beneficial for health. This is something that I'm planning to do a study on uh, with some of the the, the, um, uh, the leading researchers here in Denmark. As soon as my time frees up a little bit, um, this is something that I want to dig into because it's so interesting. And then if we put on top of that the neurological components of what actually controls the heart 
in those two situation, what situations, one where the thickness of the heart has uh, has increased, and one where the the internal volume has increased, what what exactly is going on in those two scenarios with the depolarization of the heart and and all of these uh, all of these things? Then all of a sudden we can track it back to cortical control mechanisms. We will know more about know more about different activities, maybe even also during um, during heat stress, during uh, during altitude training, how it reacts there, and all of these things. So, so there's still so much that's uh, that we need to explore, or that someone needs to explore with this. But it's it's it, it, it's what gets me going. It's it, it's yeah. so interesting. It's well, so you know, interesting. I'm hearing this, and it, it certainly makes me appreciate you and and, and what you do. Um, now full time, right? Because I, I think it would take a special person with a, you know, a diverse educational background and a and a performance background and a neuroscience background to kind of do the type of work you're doing. So d- definitely appreciate you. Now, I've, you know, I've taken up so much of your time, and I know it's late since you're speaking to me all the way from Denmark. But I I did want to say that you are going to be at ISCN, uh, the International Symposium of Clinical Neuroscience, next month. Uh, the dates yep. are that October seventh, eighth, and ninth. And I think I just saw that you submitted your topic uh, title. I don't know if you have that available near you, near you, but would you mind sharing with everybody what your presentation is going to be, uh, the title of your presentation? Yeah, the title of the presentation I'm going to be doing at the, the ISCN is Deconstructing the Olympian, a Tale of Strength, Power, and Endurance. So basically, this is going to be a presentation of, uh, of what makes the best the best. And we're going to look at strength, we're going to look at power, and we're going to look at endurance. Um, and I'm really looking forward to, um, to talking about that. It's always interesting to, to learn from what makes the best the best. Right. And, you know, and I got to say another congratulations to you because the group that we have speaking at the ISCN uh, last year and then this year is, is really special. You know, some some of the most amazing universities all over the world, the brightest minds, including some of the Carrick Institute's faculty like Professor Carrick, Antonucci, Dr. Klotzik and more uh, for you to be on that list is uh, kudos to you. And I think it has a lot to do with well, your you. background in regards to your research. You know, you've done some uh, v- amazing research in regards to the neuroscience of pain reduction. Uh, fear avoidance beliefs, uh, papers that I've read and I've really enjoyed, and papers that I know that Dr. Carrick has read, and, uh, and even said, you know what, this is a this is a guy that we need to have at this event, and I, actually you've been appointed faculty as well because we have um, you're working on something uh, pretty special with the Carrick Institute and a team there, and and I'm going to have you back for a podcast just about that, so we're, we're not sure. going to talk about that, but we're because I think that's uh, it's such a big deal, and I know we have uh, tons of people all around the world just waiting. Um, for what you've been working on for, for quite some time. So I think that'll warrant its own special announcement, if that's okay with you. So can we have you Absolutely. back again? Absolutely. It will awesome. be my pleasure. Kenneth, thank you so much for your time today. I really enjoyed speaking to you. We're going to push, push this podcast out uh, fairly quickly so everybody can kind of uh, get to know you, and then we'll, we'll see you at ISCN. We'll have you back again. But congratulations on everything you accomplished, and thank you again for sharing. Um, last question, your, your book, The mm-hmm. Cardio Code Book. I need to pick up a copy, so would you mind telling me where where I can get one or uh, the people listening at home can get a copy of your book? Yeah, uh, right now The Cardio Code is available on as download on iTunes. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you can just go into the, uh, the bookstore there, uh, and it's called The Cardio Code by Kenneth J., um, and if you want to check out my website, it's cardiocode.dk. It's also um, available uh, as a download there. Perfect. Well, Kenneth, thank you again. I'll, I'll pick up the book. I'm sure lots of people will. It'll, it'll, it'll serve their, their heart and their brain well. But thank you for your time, and we'll have you back again. Thank you, my friend. All right. All right. Thank you, Freddie. My pleasure. 
If you enjoyed this podcast and would like to make any suggestions for any future podcast topics, please visit the Contact Us page on careinstitute.com.